Well, good morning. How are you? Oh, hey, you guys are awake this morning. This is good. It's not daylight savings time. It's the week after, so uh, we're doing a little better this morning. It's great to see you there. My name is Dave Lewis. I'm the community pastor here at Bayview Glen Church. And if you've been with us for the last little while, you know that we are neck deep now into the book of John. It's going to be uh, the book that we kind of stay in for the next year as we uh, you know, go through the book kind of chapter by chapter, verse by verse, to discover um, the God who uh, reveals himself to us there in Jesus. And if you were here last week, you know, Lucas uh, threw me under the bus a little bit uh, at the end of his sermon there where he said that today I, I get to preach on the easy stuff. Do you, do you remember that from last week? All right, so I, I, I disagree with what he had to say at the end of that, and I'll tell you why, because two weeks ago we looked at party Jesus, all right? Lucas got to preach on party Jesus, where he comes and he turns water into wine and, you know, all that good stuff, and then last week he got to talk about angry Jesus, where Jesus goes into the temple and flips over the tables of the money changers and, uh, you know, does some great stuff there. Uh, what I am stuck with today is philosopher Jesus, all right? Take a look at this here. So Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus asks him a question in John chapter 3, and Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We got that? Pretty easy. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, the thing is, is that what we've been actually talking about, we've been taking that word believe and we've defined it as active trust and what Jesus is talking about here is that for us to actively put our trust in him, it involves us, uh, uh, involves a surrender actually in our hearts. It involves us to surrender to the work of the spirit, to be born of water and of spirit. But before we jump into that a little bit deeper, let's just pause for a word of prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that you are our vision, God, that you are the one that we can see in the flesh through Jesus. God, that our lives, we, we, you become a frame of reference for us. Someone that we can look to for guidance, someone that we can look to to know how to live in our world, God, how to navigate the challenges that we face. And so, Lord, today as we kind of submit ourselves to you and to your word this morning. God, I pray that um, your spirit would speak to us, that you would transform us, that you would take these parts of us that need to be changed and that you would put your finger on them and that we would bring those to light and allow you to transform us. So God, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, uh, how many of you guys have seen the shows Flip This House or... Uh, extreme Makeover Home Edition. Anybody out there? All right, there's lots of you. Good, good stuff. Um, you know, they were two popular TV reality shows in the U.S. that dealt with the renovation of houses. And in Flip This House, real estate developers bought homes that were in disrepair, fixed them up, and then sold them for a profit. It sounds like a pretty simple concept, but sparks would fly and, and tempers would flare because that that's what makes good TV uh, before these fixer-uppers were sold to interested buyers. The other show, Extreme Makeover Home Edition, families in need would have their homes rebuilt from the inside out by specialized design teams. The lives of the deserving families were forever changed when they learned that they had been selected to have their home walls moved, their floors replaced, and even their facades radically changed. 
Then viewers witnessed not only the unbelievable transformation of the house, but during the final and emotional call to move that bus, they would see how the home makeover had impacted the lives of those chosen families. You see, the premise of these shows is based on two distinct human pursuits. The first is the desire to make a buck and advance ourselves. We see that in the show, uh, Flip This House. The second one is an aspiration that we have to help others with acts of kindness in, in order to lift them up, in order to help change their position in life. It seems to me that these two shows, shows point to a deep reality within human nature. They speak to us about the real life matter of what we allow to shape our existence. Is, is life about fixing ourselves up so that we appear, to those, uh, we appear better to, or presentable to those who are looking? If we borrow from real estate language, we, are we most interested in creating a life that has great curb appeal? If so, we may find that this works for a while and even brings us some positive returns. But my experience has led me to conclude that the fixer-upper approach to the unsightly mess that I so often make of my life wears really thin, really quickly. There are some things that I can do to improve myself, some techniques that I can use to help me become better that I'm capable of performing, but deep change in my life, where matters of character, spirituality, and decisions are made really lies beyond my capacity to accomplish. I, I try to change me, but I find that I only end up masking my flaws and pretending that I've actually changed. I am in more need of an extreme makeover, the ripping apart of my inner being and a total transformation that happens from the inside out. And I suspect that I'm not the only one. I would guess that although there are some of you that have great curb appeal uh, from the outside, many of us are actually on the inside feeling like we're dying, dying inwardly. We just can't seem to get life together sometimes. And then sparks fly and tempers flare and, you know, pretty soon we find ourselves out of control and we've created this volatile environment in our homes or in our workplace or wherever it is that we find ourselves. Theologian Dallas Willard has observed, our lives are a result of what we have become in the depths of our being. What we call our spirit, will, or heart. From there we see our world and interpret reality. From there we make choices, break forth into action, and try to change our world. That is why the greatest need of collective humanity is the renovation of the heart. Renovation of the heart actually requires a special design team. It is a work of God through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. The extreme makeover that the divine design team puts together is one of changing people from the inside out. It is a spirit-induced process of transforming the inner world of the human self so that we take on the character and priorities of Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes to us with power not to simply fix what is wrong with our lives, but to totally transform us 
He comes from the outside in to recreate us into the likeness of Jesus so that the Apostle Paul says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. This extreme makeover, the renovation of the heart, the inner transformation that God intends should happen to all of us is explained by Jesus in a conversation he had with a religious leader of Israel that John recorded in chapter three of his gospel. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to take them and turn to John chapter three. If you don't have your Bibles, you can use, it, uh, use your phone. Feel free to do that. Just make sure that it's put into silence so that it doesn't interrupt us here. And like always, the scripture's gonna be up behind me on the screen. So starting uh, John chapter three, starting in verse one, it says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? The curb appeal of Nicodemus would have been considerable. You see, if you've been around church for a while, you've most likely heard of the Pharisees of which Nicodemus was a part of. They were a religious party who were known for their strict adherence to the law. Their name in Aramaic means actually separated, and they placed a high value on personal holiness, and so went to great lengths to keep themselves separated from those who they would deem unclean, tax collectors, lepers, prostitutes, drunkards, etc. And they practiced a strict form of religious legalism by creating what they referred to as a fence around the law to make sure they didn't break any of the laws. This meant that they actually created laws to help them keep the law, and by doing so, built an oppressive religious system with unnecessary rules and regulations. The reason the Pharisees were so committed to their personal holiness was because they believed that when Israel properly followed the law, that then the Messiah would come and would establish the kingdom of God and deliver Israel from all her enemies. What we find in John's intro of Nicodemus was that not only was he a Pharisee, he was also a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council made up of 70 rabbis and priests. In first century Israel, religion and politics always walked hand in hand, and so Nicodemus is not just an ordinary Pharisee, but one of the power brokers in Jewish society. And so that's why Jesus referred to him as simply not a teacher of Israel, but the teacher of Israel, implying that he was no backbencher on 
the temple council, he was the primary teacher, and his fame would have been well known. You see, for any number of reasons, fame or infamy often follows preachers. My dad really likes this story about himself. My dad, for those of you that don't know him, is actually a pastor, was here at Bayview Glen for a little while, now is in Niagara-on-the-Lake and works um, at churches in the area there. And he tells, tells us this story about the time where he was walking through a mall uh, that we lived in, uh, the, the town that I lived in when I, uh, when I was growing up. Him and my mom were walking through the mall and he didn't know that there was a couple from our church with their little kids that was following behind him. And on the Sunday, uh, this was a Friday night, and on the Sunday, the mother of that child actually came up to him and, uh, and said, you, you'll never guess what happened on, on Friday. We were following you in the mall when my daughter saw you and she tugged on my, shirt, uh, my coat sleeve and she said, Mom, look, there goes God. My dad likes that story for obvious reasons. <laughs> you see, Nicodemus would have been deeply respected because of his teaching position. And when Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, it very well may have been because he didn't want to be seen by others. Perhaps his prominent position in the religious council would have been compromised if he were ever seen with Jesus. You know, we're not totally sure the other noteworthy observance about Nicodemus was that he was a nighttime visitor. And what's interesting about this is the role that the word night actually plays in the Gospel of John. You see, night or dark is, is always a symbol of spiritual darkness. It may be that John included the reference to night to draw attention to the fact that even though Nicodemus was a teacher of the law, was a Pharisee, was a ruler of the people, that he was still a man in darkness coming to Jesus the light of the world. John would later reference the darkened condition of humanity when he recorded these words later on in John chapter three. Jesus says, God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. You see, in the case of Nicodemus, he at least made a serious choice in the midst of his darkness. He took action to step out of the darkness and into the light by approaching Jesus with his questions. St. John of the Cross, a 16th century monk, has written a book entitled The Dark Night of the Soul. In the book, he argues that all of us must face the dark night of our lostness without God before we can come into the light of his grace. In a selection entitled Stanzas of the Soul, he expresses the journey from darkness to light, a journey remarkable, remarkably similar to the one of Nicodemus. He goes like this. A dark night kindled by love with yearnings. Oh, happy chance. I went forth without being observed, my house being now at rest. In darkness and secure, by the latter disguised. In darkness and in concealment, my house being now at rest in the happy night in secret when no one saw me, nor I beheld aught without light or guide save that which burned in my heart. This light guided me more surely than the light of noonday to the place where he, well, I knew who was awaiting me. Before we can move forward with God, there needs to be the acknowledgement that we are in darkness without him. 
And if we really take the time to think on this matter, we will see this to be the case. You see, Jesus said, what flows from, uh, what you say flows from what is in your heart. And so when we make excuses for things that we've said or things that we've done, we say things like, I don't know where that came from, or, oh man, that, that just slipped out. We are admitting to the truth that our, our outer actions actually reveal, the, reveal a dark side that we are literally unable to control. Such slips reveal publicly the private inner workings of our hearts. The really good news is that the dark night of the soul is not an irresolvable condition. God can change us on the inside so that we can take on the character and priorities of Jesus and become the people that God has called and created us to be. As we let what is stored in our hearts be transformed, we become like Jesus in all that we do and all that we say. I like to say in every, every day and in every way, if our hearts are made new. See, if our hearts are made new, what comes out of us will bring about peace and honesty. Our part is to admit to the truth that we are unable to fix up our lives to any satisfactory degree. We cooperate with God by submitting to his transforming power to change us. Jesus explained this transformation to Nicodemus as the birth from above. You see, Nicodemus, when he came to Jesus, he wanted to engage in safe talk. He approached him with the acknowledgement that he must be sent from God because no one could do the kinds of things, the kinds of miracles and signs that Jesus were doing if God was not with him. Nicodemus wanted to talk about these surface issues. He was interested in these outward demonstrations of God's power and might, but was less interested in the deeper issues of the heart. He wanted to keep Jesus at a comfortable distance. In a penetrating composition, writer Wilbert Reese exposes the attitude so many of us have of not wanting to dump God completely from our lives, but on the other hand, not wanting to become too radical in their commitment to keep God at a safe place or a safe distance. He writes this, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please, Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love my neighbor or pick beets with a migrant worker. I want joy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. See, Nicodemus wasn't prepared for the deep inner probing that Jesus would initiate in response to his questions. Jesus was not interested in perpetuating a nice discussion. He forced the Jewish teacher to deal with the heart of the matter when it came to being a child of God. God talk and casual religious chatter may have their place in the search to escape the dark night of the soul. But what is really needed is the penetrating work of God's spirit into the deepest caverns of our being to shine the light of Christ there. Unless 
This transformational experience takes place within us. There can be no escaping the darkness that hides us from God. Jesus informed Nicodemus that the only way to be rightly related to God and enjoy intimacy with him uh, that moves us beyond a casual encounter was to be born again. And Nicodemus responds with skepticism to this born again talk. How can anyone, says Nicodemus, be born again who has already been born and grown up? You can't re-enter your mother's womb and be born once more. Jesus, that's crazy talk. Nicodemus, like so many today, was turned off by Jesus' reference to being born again. Although the phrase may have become misinterpreted and misunderstood, there is a truth that cannot be dismissed here. You see, Jesus is talking about entering into the kingdom of God. He is telling us how to become a child of God, born into God's family and accepted into his presence. The bottom line here is that a transformation of our character needs to take place if we are to experience peace and right standing with God. This transformation, Jesus insists, is a work of the Holy Spirit, who with the same power that brought about Jesus' conception in the womb of Mary, without human intervention, births in us the nature and character of Christ. This remarkable intervention can only be described as a birth from above, which is actually a closer translation to what Jesus described than the more common term, born again. Jesus is driving at something comprehensive, a complete renewal of the whole person. By the words born from above, Jesus means more than making improvements to a part. He is talking about a thorough remake of our lives from top to bottom. Now you may have noticed that Jesus indicated that this new birth is a combined action of water and the spirit of God. And as a teacher of the Old Testament scriptures, Nicodemus would have been familiar with the symbol of water used to describe the spirit. The prophets in particular described a coming era when the transforming spirit of God would be poured out generously on all people using this metaphor of water. We see this in the book of Isaiah where the prophet states this, for I will pour water on the thirsty ground and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. The prophet Ezekiel described God's transforming power to change hearts in this way. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart or remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then to the woman at the well Jesus indicated that he gives water that will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life as an indication that his spirit would live in her. So by making use of the water metaphor and speaking with Nicodemus, Jesus was indicating <clears throat> that with his coming, the transforming work of the spirit that had, been long be- had long been anticipated was now being introduced. And Nicodemus had the opportunity and could be changed from the inside out. This is the amazing truth that is unique to the teachings of Jesus. He tells us that real change, the change that has 
uh, has, the change that he has come to bring to us is an inside job performed by the work of the Holy Spirit alone, not by anything that we do. And in the performance of his work, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us. This means that we no longer need to try to summon up the strength to be like Jesus. The nature of Christ has been birthed in us. And our part is to allow the Spirit of God to grow us into who we really are. Children of God who reflect his image, born into his family, and transformed into the likeness of Christ. We will know that we are cooperating with God's spirit in his work of growing us into fully developed sons and daughters when we actually don't have to try to love. When loving thoughts will spring up without awareness, we'll smile at an enemy or we'll actually pray for the person that cuts us off in our morning commute. I mean, we will, uh, when, when we experience uh, issues of, around dishonesty or whatever, they will offend us and they will, we will want to move away from those things. We will be changed and transformed from above. If all this sounds unrealistic to you, it may be that you have not come to grips with the deep change that actually needs to happen and take place in the dark night of your soul. You see, the implications here for the, for the serious Christ follower are far-reaching. There can be no lasting change without facing reality as it really is. Openness to the Holy Spirit is not a superficial interest. There must be a deep inner longing to be made new. Our attempts at simply patching things up are totally discounted. Nothing short of radical change is to be fully embraced. Surrender is made to the will of the Spirit of God who comes to us from uh, who comes from outside of us to live within us with power not to simply fix what is wrong, but to totally transform. So let me ask you, how do you view your spirituality? What is your reality? Do you have a fixer-upper mentality where you're just trying to clean up the outside of your life, or do you have a transformational approach where the Holy Spirit is giving where you're given the Holy Spirit total charge of the inner remake. Jesus invites you to live in the reality of this transformation by the Spirit that will plunge you deep, that will plunge you into the deep of God's wellspring for filled up living. That's the kind of reality that God actually has in mind for you. So go ahead, make the move. Come out of the dark. Ask God to change you, whether it's for the first time or the first time of multiple times. Change is possible. The power of God to transform you from the inside out is real. Stepping away from the fear of exposure and stepping into the light of the spirit of truth is what makes the difference between keeping up the facade and living the life that God has called us to. Let's pray. Father God, as we just take this moment to rest in your presence, as we take this moment to actually think about where it is in our lives that we need to let go, that we need to surrender to you. God, I pray with 
hearts that are open, hands that are open, minds that are open to hear from you. God, that you would just put your finger on those places in our lives. That you would bring them to mind at this very moment. Father, I pray for us that as those things have come to mind, that you would be willing to let go. God, that we would be willing to be attentive to your spirit. We would invite this deep transformation. This would be part of our active trust, our active belief in you. We would no longer be content with kind of toe dipping with a $3 God. But God, that we would want to plunge deep into those waters of rebirth and transformation. So God, we pray these things in your name.